Who is Von Von Braun? That is the subject of today's Distazapod. We're going to do a deep dive into the signature character from August for Action Figure of the Month. Most Knights of the Slice fans know Rex Gannon, the indestructible man. Uh, Rex was a childhood creation of mine, this sort of tough alpha male type character, and he's made his way into plastic form quite a few times, most notably with my first independent toy project in collaboration with Plan B Toys for the 6-inch Rex Cannon action figure, which coincidentally still on the store, still for sale. And it's more than a decade old at this point. Um, so you have Rex, and uh, most people know his story. He he did meet Brick from Knights of the Slice and agreed to become the interim uh, sort of leader of Knights of the Slice since Lime passed away, or was killed, or was murdered, depending on how you look at it. Uh, But Rex reluctantly agrees to do this, and he does it only because Brick offers him information on his missing friend, Vaughn Von Braun. And Rex has been looking for him for years. He doesn't know where he is. He assumes he's missing in action. And that is the reason why Rex sort of joins Knights of the Slice and reluctantly takes a leadership position. Now, we know a little bit about the backstory of where Vaughn was and how him and Rex get reconnected. But what we don't really know, unless you're an OG fan and have sort of followed all of my independent comic releases, is who Vaughn really is and what their connection is and, um, I think it's time we talk about that. So what do we know? Well, we know that Rex and Vaughn served together in the military. Uh, We don't know what branch. We know that they were definitely in the heat of battle quite a few times. Rex sort of earned his his, uh, code name, the Indestructible Man, because several times he went on sort of dangerous missions, and more than a few times he was one of the only people to survive those. Vaughn also uh, survived these missions that they went on together, but Vaughn has taken a lot more damage over the years. He's got a couple bullets rattling around inside of him. Um, He has some damage to his left eye, uh, which is why when we meet him in Malignant Bullet, which would later become drone riders, uh, Vaughn is always wearing his sunglasses. Um, I have some early artwork of Vaughn that you can uh, look at on the Patreon. I actually went and found my old CD backups from college, and I poured through them yesterday. And there's a lot of bad art, and I consider these to be bad art, but I think they're interesting because it it sort of shows you very early on what this sort of idea and the look of Vaughn is. And uh, the best way I can sort of crystallize for you Rex and Vaughn and their relationship uh, is actually in Quentin Tarantino's new movie um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, I think that Brad Pitt's character in that movie is exactly how I've always envisioned Vaughn. Um, Leo's character is not at all how I envision um, Rex Gannon to be, but I think it's... uh, that sort of dynamic between both of them is really interesting and, you know, you know, Tarantino did a great job of sort of synthesizing the nugget of an idea I had, um, cause he's a fantastic artist. Uh, when I was younger, I definitely imagined Jude Law playing Rex Cannon, but I definitely always held on to Brad Pitt as, uh, Vaughn. I don't know why, but it was just always sort of stuck in my head that that's, you know, the type of character he would be. Um, The Malignant Bullet story, which I believe we have on the web store as a digital comic, I think part three is still missing, and I'm going to have to track that down and sort of put them together. Um, Malignant Bullet came out, let's see, this would be post my first couple Glios custom releases. Definitely pre-Knights of the Slice. 
and um, it was a story I worked on for a very long time over the, the course of many years, kind of trying to find a relaunch for Rex Cannon, trying to tell this story that I had in my head forever. And uh, while the entire sort of story arc has not been released or fully fleshed out, there are three parts to it, two of which I'm pretty sure are available to read right now. And the basic premise is that Rex and Vaughn are no longer active military. And so they've taken up a sort of parallel position to military actions. You know, they still kind of want the thrill of being in combat areas. But they're a little bit older, they're a little bit wiser, they're a little bit slower. And so they don't want to be right in the thick of it. That's a young man's game. But they do have a certain expertise that commands top dollar. And so they're happy to sort of supplement the military activities going on in a region with their services as what they call battlefield custodians. So essentially when skirmishes go down, there's almost inevitably uh, things that get left behind. Just, you know, troops are moving quick. They're pursuing an enemy. They're not going to go back and get a tank that, you know, lost its treads. They might have a convoy that flipped over that they just don't have time to recover. They may have key pieces of intel or electronics that have been abandoned to lighten a load. And so Rex and Vaughn sort of go into these territories and they will collect up what the military is looking for. And then they'll call in a drone which will come and pick up this gear. Now, because a lot of time in these skirmish areas, there've been EMP detonations, electronic magnetic pulses. Um, you can't just send a drone in remotely. You know, there's big clouds of EMP juice that are floating in the atmosphere. And to send a drone in without human uh, eyeline on the item, just means you're basically going to crash your drone and it's going to get lost. But if you go and you send a small team of humans and they can collect the gear, they can mark it with a smoke grenade or a signal flare or, you know, some other electronic transmission means, then the drone can fly almost on its own to uh, come extend its skyhook and scoop up everything they need. Uh, when they would get a pickup, they would also typically um, they would have a sort of locker dropped. So these drones, which are bigger than the drones we're thinking of because they have a lot of thrust and they have the ability to lift extra weight, they would sort of swoop down into the combat area. They would drop off a locker. Rex and Vaughn could load up the locker with the gear they'd collected. They uh, There's also a little bit of a sink, so they could sort of use a foot pump to power a little bit of fresh water, kind of, you know, wash their hands off, clean their face a little bit, refill their canteens. There might be some basic rations and supplies that they could sort of restock, maybe some bullets, things like that. Uh, and then they'd uh, drop another smoke grenade and a, you know, either that same drone on its return course or a new drone would come and swoop and pick that locker back up. And then once the gear was back at military headquarters, it'd get counted and inventoried, and then they would get paid. And they had a really good system going on with this battlefield recovery sort of service. And uh, basically Vaughn, his uh, lovely wife, who was at the same time sort of nursing and raising their infant, would provide all the intel they would need. She would sort of you know, on Overwatch, provide maps and logistic data, and then Rex and Vaughn would go out and collect this stuff up. And uh, they did this for a few years and they made some good money until one day it kind of started to go south. So they were just kind of going through a routine operation in a desert landscape. And uh, they were making good progress. 
And then suddenly they saw some uh, smoldering fire off in the distance, and they decided to go check it out. When they get there, they see a huge APC that's been flipped over and uh, several dead servicemen. And they happen upon one of them, and they actually recognize the guy. It's, it's this guy, Jones, that they've... Uh, may or may not have been part of a unit back in the day, but Jones stayed in the military where Rex and Vaughn went off to have semi-civilian lives. And Jones is injured, but he's conscious, and they're going to get a evac drone over there to save him. But Jones is basically warning them they're in the Queen Bee territory. And you can see there's sort of graffiti on the overturned vehicles. And uh, he says that, you know, these are highly, highly dangerous locals. And they, Rex and Vaughn should just get out of there. It's not worth anybody's time. They overcame the might of the U.S. military. So these are people that are going to fiercely defend their territory. And they want nothing to do with outsiders. They don't want to be liberated. And uh, to see Jones, who's even more battle-hardened and bloodthirsty than Rex and Vaughn, uh, turn tail and want to retreat, lets Rex and Vaughn know that, um, you know, this is a serious threat. This is something that they have to be super careful with. So, they're looking at their account balance. Now... In this operation, they've blown most of their budget on these drone extractions. And they actually have to pay for the extraction for Jones, the, med the medical extraction, which is a, it's like a double-sized drone. And it kind of comes down, drops off this, this gurney that has a sky hook on it. And then it'll swoop back around and pick up the, uh, the sort of injured person. And... By traveling by drone, they're, they're potentially going to save Jones's life. You know, drone travel is way quicker than a helivac or anything else, and it's it's the closest craft there is. So, this is a this is really a life or death matter. These guys are going to they're going to blow through their entire budget to save their old friend. But the problem is, they're going to put this project in the red, and they've already been out there for quite a few days, and they got mortgages due, they got bills to pay. Vaughn's got baby formula he needs to get. So they make the decision that they're going to carry on into the Queen Bee's territory despite the warning. They know how dangerous this is. They're going to do it anyway. The military uh, headquarters nearby also agree to double their fee. They thank them for the Jones incident. They will reimburse them for the Jones drone ride, but... There's a lot of political red tape. It's going to take probably net 60 days for them to see that money. So they know for short-term cash, for enough cash that they can sort of sit out the next year comfortably and Vaughn can spend some time with his infant. They know that they're going to head into this territory of darkness. Rex and Vaughn drop another smoke grenade to signal the drone back around. And then they start to hear the rumbling of engines. So whoever destroyed this convoy has been watching it. And now they see a new plume of smoke and they know something's coming in. And now, if you're a local in this really decimated part of the world, it's going to be in your interest to shoot down any drones, possibly salvage them for electronics, sell them on the black market. So... They've just painted a big target on their backs, and they can sort of see in the distance about five dune buggies are speeding over the dunes, heading right towards where Jones is in his gurney. Now, they got a little outcropping of rocks further up the way that sort of bottlenecks exactly where the Jones convoy is. So Rex and Vaughn rush over there. They get a good line of sight on the five dune buggies that are speeding in. They can confirm, using binoculars, that there is the insignia of the queen bee painted all over these dune buggies and in these sort of makeshift flags they have flapping in the wind. So Rex and Vaughn are 
on opposite sides of this tiny little canyon that these dune buggies are going to have to drive through to get to Jones. And they start to devise a very quick plan. Rex places in his shotgun a sort of grappling hook that fires across the gully. Vaughn catches it, attaches it to some rocks, and they make it very taunt and very low to the ground, just about neck level. Uh, They then sort of load their guns, turn the safety off, get some extra ammo nearby, and they prepare for the onslaught. Vaughn also, he tends to opt for overkill, whereas Rex is much more strategic and surgical. So, of course, he has a couple grenades, and uh, he's just keeping those hot, keeping them ready. So the first of the dune buggies approaches the canyon, and as they planned, like magic, it garrots the four people in the car, and uh, the dune buggy also manages to flip over and explode, giving a good bit of uh, blockage to the pathway that the other ones will take. Vaughn then uh, tosses a grenade into the second dune buggy, which quickly explodes, rendering that one useless. And then Rex and Vaughn aim their fire at the third buggy and manage to sort of wound or incapacitate all the members of that one. So very quickly, they've made a lot of progress in their defense. The last two buggies are not going to be so easily dispatched, however. One of them, that's far enough back, veers to the left and is starting to power all the way around the outcropping of rocks. It's going to go the long way and it's going to loop back around to take out the drone that's coming to pick up Jones. Rex sees this, yells to Vaughn, I'm going to go run back to Jones, take care of that one. You stay here and blast that last buggy. So... With very little communication, as they are experts with many repetitions doing this sort of work, they part ways, and Rex is hoofing it as fast as he can back to where Jones is. And we can see the drone swooping in, getting closer and closer and bigger and bigger. We can see the dune buggy speeding towards the smoke grenade, and Rex coming from a third point to try to intercept them both. While this is happening, Vaughn glances a look back to see what's going on with his partner, and that's when he takes a shot right to the fat of his shoulder. He is wearing a bulletproof vest, so some of the damage is mitigated, but he's wounded. He falls back over the rock outcropping and to the sand floor below. He's then quickly encircled by the dune buggy guys and he can see not much of their figures as they're wearing mirrored sunglasses and their heads and face are obscured by a wrapping this sort of bright orange gaudy material. It looks familiar, almost like a rug or something from an opulent empire that has long been washed away. So Vaughn is completely outnumbered here. We flash back and Rex is on his way to Jones, but it's too late. A Queen Bee soldier in the back of the Doom buggy has used a rocket to shoot the drone out of the sky and it explodes in a fury, leaving Jones stranded and probably bleeding out. The buggy then turns his attention to Rex and starts chasing him down. Now Rex knows he's screwed, drops his gun, starts double-timing it. He's exhausted from the short run he's had to make from the rock outcropping, but he's giving every last bit of adrenaline that he has into trying to save his own life. But the dune buggy is much quicker. It's gaining speed. It's inches away. Rex's last drop of energy is used to sort of vault himself up as best he can in an attempt to jump over this dune buggy. But 
it's not even close. He gets clipped by the buggy and is flipped head over heels quite a few times and then lands on the ground. The driver of the Doom buggy then takes out a small pistol, shoots a couple rounds into Rex, and then they drive off with, uh, with their quarry in mind. The Doom Buggy then joins their friends who now have Vaughn surrounded. He's bleeding, his hands are up, he's surrendering. And we leave that scene with the sun going down and Rex laying face down in the sand, likely bleeding, possibly dead. And Vaughn now being taken away to the Queen Bee's lair to, uh, Be served his judgment, if you will. But don't fret, friends, because we open back up at dawn and Rex is face down, but he is very much alive. His bulletproof vest, which is much larger and more strategic than Vaughn's, this is also a good character point here. Rex is super cautious. He wears big bulky armor. Vaughn is, uh, you know, pretty carefree more than a little bit crazed, and uh, just wears really the bare necessity in in vests. Uh, The vests have absorbed all the small arms fire Rex took, thankfully. He is a little bloodied and bruised from getting clipped by the Doom Buggy, but because he sort of did that last minute jump, he managed to uh, not take the full impact of being run over. And instead, the top bar of the Doom Buggy kind of clipped his calves and sort of spun him around and around. The sand bed, while probably didn't feel like it, was actually soft enough to uh, avoid doing any major traumatic damage to Rex. (coughs) So now he's without weapons, without much supplies, probably very thirsty, near hypothermic, and all he can do is chase him down. He's got to find his buddy Vaughn. So Rex starts following the dune buggy tracks, and it leads to a road of hundreds of abandoned cars. We start to get a picture of what kind of a setting they're in. Rex is just on this single highway walking seems like in forever and forever into just an abyss of wrecked automobiles and burned out husks of Chevys and Fords and uh, it's quite a bleak scene we cut to Vaughn he's standing semi bandaged up shirtless with a sack over his head, and he's breathing heavy. He's not quite sure what's going to happen here. Then they pull the sack off, and we see Vaughn is in a makeshift op octagon in the middle of a semi-big coliseum. There's all these lights, and there's a huge crowd, and everybody in the crowd is wearing the same orange headdress And he's looking across at this enormous man who also has an uh, orange headrest, but is wearing a lot of MMA gear, those little shorts and the uh, smaller gloves. And uh, there's a cacophony coming from the crowd. They're cheering. They want blood. And Vaughn realizes, well, he's being uh, put to death for sport. And the Queen Bee's army are going to watch him take a beating and uh, see the life drained out of him. But what they didn't count on is that actually Vaughn lives for this sort of stuff. He's never more at home or in his element than when his back's against the wall and he's outnumbered. And so the fight begins Somehow there's a gong in the audience. The gong gets gonged. And the brawl begins 
And this guy is towering over Vaughn. He must be close to seven feet tall. Solid muscle. Now Vaughn's a, a sort of substantial guy, but uh, he's also let himself go. He's got a little bit of a gut. And he starts taking major punishment. He's getting the shit kicked out of him, frankly. And this guy's much bigger and much stronger and hits a hell of a lot harder. But Vaughn is, uh, he's the type that actually the more times he gets punched, the more his animal side comes out. And as he starts taking this damage, he's just getting more and more pumped up. And uh, he does take a body shot that knocks him to the ground. He's coughing up blood. But with a guy this big, with an opponent this large, Vaughn knows leverage is, is what's going to help. So he quickly gets a hold of his feet, swipes him to the ground, starts a little ground and pound. And uh, this guy clearly had never been on the receiving end of a beating and quickly goes catatonic. Vaughn has no problem sort of choking him out. And uh, that's the problem with uh, people that are physically a specimen. They're not used to being on the losing side. And once they start to lose, they really have no plan. Whereas somebody like Vaughn, who's only ever known abuse and damage, uh, it's just another day at the office for him. And uh, his victory is sort of short-lived. He's uh, flipping off the crowd. They're booing him. They don't like that he's best of their champion. And quickly, the octagon is uh, surrounded by armed guards wearing the same orange headdress. And they come in and Vaughn sort of submits to them. And then they say, the Queen Bee will see you now. So he's actually going to meet the Queen Bee. We cut back to Rex. He's uh, entering a very deep EMP cloud, so there is no contact with home at all. Um, he sort of manages to find a very weak signal, and he messages. He can only sort of... The signal's so weak, he can only manage a text to send out. And he contacts Vaughn's wife, and he says, I'm going after Vaughn. He's in trouble. Um, when you see my homing beacon, send a detonatable drone to it. So they're going to have to do whatever they're going to do analog style. Rex is going to have to use a very old homing beacon, and he's going to have to mark whatever the target is, and at which time Vaughn's wife will launch a destructible drone, which is basically a bunker buster. It's, you know, it's heavy ordnance, and it's going to flatten whatever that beacon designates. So, Rex sort of, as he's walking, he's taking stock of what he does have. He lost his carbine back when the, uh, back when the dune buggy ran him over, but he does have his sort of trusty pistol. He does have a knife. He's got a couple of shotgun shells, but they're not going to do much here. And uh, as he's walking, it's getting darker and darker. And suddenly, a force hits him from behind and topples him over. And followed quickly by a very stinging sensation. He turns around to realize he's being attacked by an animal. He doesn't give it much thought reaches for his pistol, fires a couple rounds, reaches for his knife, sinks it into the animal's neck, and then quickly backs himself away from whatever the hell just happened. And looking down, he sees this white Bengal tiger. Now, how the hell did something like that get here? It makes no sense. Rex can see it's sort of emaciated, so it was obviously attacking him out of extreme starvation and the need for food. But this is a dead zone. There shouldn't be anything like this here. And Rex sort of takes stock. His bulletproof vest has now been shredded by this creature. He is bleeding, but it's not 
terribly, you know, dehabilitating. So he takes off his bulletproof vest, tosses it aside, uses the last of his gauze to sort of stem the bleeding, and he sort of looks down solemnly at this creature. It didn't deserve to die. It was a poor kitty. And this is just another tally mark. He's going to have to settle up with the queen bee. There's three items he wants to settle. One, the destruction of Jones's convoy. Two, the abduction of Vaughn. And three, animal cruelty. Four, let's say there's a four. The queen bee's also making him work well past his normal day hours. And then, because four, you know, it's not that compelling of a list, we're going to add a fifth, domestic terrorism. So he's got five points he needs to settle up with the queen bee. Rex uh, sort of puts his gun back away, sheaths his knife, continues walking, and then we get to a rare spot of electricity in this wasteland. And that sign is, of course, the Welcome to Las Vegas sign. Obviously, there's some generators that are running in the city, and he can also see from his vantage point Amongst the wasteland, the Luxor still stands, and there's the column of light coming out of the center of the Luxor. And this whole entire city was supposed to be raised. So the fact that the Luxor is still there, albeit covered in sand, almost up to the very top of the Luxor, and the fact that there's electricity and the Vegas sign, however decimated and wilted, still glowing. It shows that maybe the Queen Bee's army is not really an army, but this is in fact an entire city of her followers. And as Rex walks towards the Luxor, he passes the Las Vegas Zoo, which is all the doors are off the gate and all the cages have been blown up. And that would explain where the uh, Bengal tiger comes from. But now Rex is faced with an entire city that's going to be gunning for him. This mysterious Queen Bee character and the fate of Vaughn, who may or may not be alive as far as Rex knows. And all he has is about 12 rounds and about 6 inches of steel. I'm talking about his knife, not his penis. He does not have a steel penis. So I leave the malignant bullet slash drone rider story there. That does set the stage for one of Rex and Vaughn's pretty seminal uh, adventures. What happened post drone riders and the post Queen Bee experience? There's a lot of different missions. At a certain point, Rex and Vaughn split ways. It was sometime around the dissolution of Vaughn's marriage and his separation from his wife and kids that Vaughn just became despondent and Rex wanted a more peaceful life. He didn't even want to be working adjunct to military operations. He wanted to sort of help safeguard civilians and normal people from the military industrial complex. And he founded, based out of London, a consultancy that basically helped people take precautions and extricate themselves from situations where industrialized military governments or abuses of the Pentagon or other institutions had sort of infringed upon them. And obviously it was a tall task and made them a lot of enemies, but that was the work that Rex liked to do. He didn't want to be holding a gun anymore. He didn't want to be shooting people. He didn't want to be killing exotic tigers where it could be avoided. But at a certain point, Vaughn just stopped checking in. And they like to meet up once a year to just have a beer and sort of maintain the ritual. And it had been about two years since Vaughn had failed to show up to this rendezvous and also even sent a message or reached out. Of course, Rex reached out to Vaughn's wife and went and visited her and the kid but she hadn't heard from him either, and he hadn't paid any alimony. Rex 
you know, dutifully sort of settled up for her, despite her protests. But um, where Vaughn was and what he was doing was a real sort of mystery to Rex, and it bothered him. And when he was approached by Brick, uh, he knew all about the Knights of the Slice, and it was an organization Rex was watching very carefully because he considered them to be a potential paramilitary threat. Now, he did understand that Fred Foods started to install these mascot bodyguards in every franchise because things like mass shooters happened and it was helpful to have a trained, augmented, localized superhero to deal with these threats. It was a very real sort of violence that was inflicted upon people every day. But Rex also knows the nature of power and the nature of militaries, and that Fred Foods, this massive conglomerate that had its own standard privatized army, was potentially something that had to be watched because power does not seed on its own. Power only seeds with a demand. So this was not an organization Rex was enthusiastic to sort of join up with. But he figured if he, if they really truly knew where Vaughn was and could provide him that intel and Vaughn was alive, and two, he could assume the role of leader of the Knights of the Slice, potentially influence the Knights themselves to be weary of the kind of military organization Knights of Slice had the potential to become, influence it for good from the inside, and then also compile his own first-hand data that could be useful in his career as a security consultant outside and after his term as leader of the Knights of the Slice, then it did seem like a necessary calculated risk. It did seem like the good would heavily outweigh any reservations Rex might have in working for such a potentially dangerous company. And so Rex took the job, and he went on many missions on behalf of Knights of the Slice. And there are times when Rex thinks, I'm actually glad I took this job. He doesn't feel any better about Fred Food's ambitions. He doesn't like their amassing power and they're having their own private troops. But he never would have seen Subcity had it not been for Fred Foods. He never would have met some of the people that he became friends with, like the late Gamma Guy or Leather Knight. He never would have been put on assignment to go to L.A. to look into the murder of one of the Knights of Slice delivery men. He never would have met Cyber Mama. There's so many things that never would have happened had he not taken this job with Fred Foods. And even though his time is, is quickly coming up with the organization, he knows that ultimately there are bad forces in the universe and there are powerful forces in the universe and sometimes they cross over. And sometimes you can prevent a powerful force from becoming a bad force. And thankfully under his watch, by his own metrics, Fred Foods had not become a tyranny. Although the potential is always there. And they're only one advancement away from crossing that line. And when they do, Rex will be there and he'll be ready. But I digress. Brick utilizing a vector technology by, it's kind of complicated, but basically what Brick does is he hires a vector detective. Now a vector detective is a sort of cyber sleuth. They are people that, as far as you know, only exist online. And what they are able to do is dive into metadata in a, a physical construct of metadata. And basically, they can find you any information. But 
It's dangerous work, and there are safeguards with all metadata and personal information that are incredibly lethal. Now, to dive into the vector in a very real way, you have to have illegal haptic settings on your interface units. So a haptic, haptic feedback is basically, if you wear a glove and you're playing a game and you, get, you touch an electric fence, the glove vibrates and you get a mild sensation that makes the gameplay all that more integrated and real. But if you really want to utilize the vector and, and, the, and the treacle of information that's out there, you have to have illegal haptic uh, feedback settings. And what that means is that basically your nervous system becomes wired to your online character, your avatar. And whatever they feel, you're going to feel one-to-one. So if they find themselves in a lethal situation, it is also going to be lethal for you. Your heart is going to stop. Now, obviously, there are tons of laws against these illegal haptic settings. But there are people that live outside the law, and there are people that are very useful. And a vector detective is really the most useful of these people. So Brick stumbles across this guy named Radic, who's supposed to be the best. And he hires Radic to locate Vaughn. And it wasn't easy. This is one of the hardest cases Radic has ever had because Vaughn hasn't had any footprint whatsoever on the web or on any app um, in quite a few years. But what Radic is able to determine is that he went to Egypt and his devices seemingly became active again as a being sort of left Egypt and headed back to the States. And so they are able to triangulate and figure out where this being is moving. And it's moving right to the very bar that Rex and Vaughn have agreed to meet at every year. They're sort of rendezvous spot. And so Brick hands over the location they believe that Vaughn will be at. Rex is surprised, but not surprised. This is exactly the place where they were supposed to meet every year. And it's coming up on exactly the date they would meet at. So in some way, Rex's entire position as the leader of Knights of the Slice was for not because he probably could have just gone to this bar and waited again. But after two years being stiffed, he thought there was no way in hell this would happen. So it's ironic, and you could feel wasted, like you had just committed yourself to this company, this possibly dubious company, for years of your life, all for naught. But in truth, Rex may never have gone back to that place. Too many memories. So his excitement to meet his old friend again is sort of substantial enough that he overlooks (laughs) the complete wasted opportunity that uh, has been the last few years. So Rex heads there, and sure enough, Vaughn's sitting there. But he looks different. His hair and beard are incredibly long. His eyes are a bit sullen. As I said, Vaughn had a sort of eye condition from an injury he sustained on a mission. It left one of his eyes sort of cloudy, almost transparent looking. But that's gone now. Both his eyes are stark, piercing pools of blue. He also looks impossibly bulky, but there is a sort of, what looks like almost a moo-moo, this olive drab canvas draped over him. And Rex can sort of perceive out of the corner of his eye, Vaughn's seems to be wearing some sort of gauntlet or something metallic as he grips his beer. And he's different, he's monotone, he's, he's not animated, he's not smiling, he's not crazed as he used to be. He's sort of stoic and still. 
And Rex says, where have you been? What is going on? Please explain yourself. And then Vaughn regales him with his tale. He had to take work by himself, you know, being a sort of, uh, you know, a, a adrenaline junkie left him with not a lot of people that wanted to work with him. He'd been careless. He, he had sort of, you know, wor- he's gotten himself in enough situations where people just felt dangerous around him and they didn't want to work with him anymore. So he went by himself. He took this high ticket mission to Egypt and almost immediately he knew it was a trap. He didn't even have the backup of his ex-wife that he used to have to help him out. She would have warned him that there were two drones with Gatling guns bearing down on him. So Vaughn is barely dodging the spray of bullets running through the sand dunes and he puts his foot down where he thinks he'll simply carry on his step but instead he goes through the ground and he slips through some kind of quicksand or some kind of chute and he ends up in a dusty basement, more or less, a tomb. There is still some light trickling in from some sort of uh, patchwork ceiling. And he's looking at this pretty tall, mummified remains, face wrapped in bandages completely, just a sort of metallic slit where the eyes would be. And there is some flesh on the exposed hands that are wrapped. But he can tell this is very old and ancient. There's odd boots with fringe on them. Seems to be almost Greco-Roman, but there's a slight Japanese flair to the tunic. And then of course the bandages and the gold eye visor make him think, well, this looks Egyptian as well. This, this must be some sort of world traveler or something. And then right on cue, in a moment that would have chilled anyone to the bone and possibly caused a heart attack from fright, Vaughn just watched as this body became animated and started speaking to him. And he explained that he was Alexander of Macedon. And... He had conquered the world, and it was time for him to sleep. And he turned to his friends, the Egyptians, to grant him the slumber that they were so fascinated with. And so he slept for many, many years and decades and centuries. And he slept peacefully until the present day when the constant buzzing of cell phones and the obnoxious Wi-Fi and the explosions of EMP devices and the dirty bombs and the mini nukes and the tiny Holocaust explosions, they all had sort of made his sleep impossible. And the world that he left at peace had once again become a dangerous frontier. And so Alexander woke from his slumber and decided, I'm here and it is time to force peace on everyone. And he gives Vaughn the opportunity. He can become rebuilt and better than he ever was and serve Alexander and help force peace at the point of a sword. Or, well, I mean, we don't even want to know the other option. I'm sure it's completely horrible. And Vaughn, with no friends, no longer a relationship with his wife or child, no best friend, Rex, very limited options for work, and also a weary soul that actually, after being into combat his whole life was now sort of longing for peace. He agrees. And Alexander grants him what we sort of modern humans call the Frankenslice. It's it's an ancient term that we can't pronounce or understand, but 
we know it as the Frankenstein. He grants him this ability. And Vaughn can now rebuild himself with any Glyos parts. And he constructs this patchwork suit of armor. And that's when we flash to Rex and Vaughn having the beer. And Vaughn takes off his sort of canvas. And we see his rebuilt body. We see these odd medieval shoulder pads. This large torso with pointy collars and a collection of artifacts and weapons strapped on a bandolier. We see a fantastical and possibly prehistoric longsword, mechanical hands. Vaughn has changed. He's different now. He's the Frankenslice. And it sounds like Rex and Vaughn are now diametrically opposed. Rex, of course, wants peace, but he sees Alexander and his ambitions as nothing less than violent fascism. And so we're left with a moral question. Will Rex have to reckon with his friend, or will he see the light and agree to the peace that Alexander has in mind? And that's where the story is really left, and it's left up to you guys. It's also worth mentioning, the store is open today at 12 EDT. And we got the Battle Sire and Randy Chap 2-pack coming out, which is another Frankenstein character. Maybe we'll talk about them next time. But, my friends, that is the story of Rex and Vaughn, in so much as I'm willing to reveal at this time. I hope you have enjoyed this extra-long podcast. It's been a lot of fun to do. Let's uh, regroup after you get your packages and tell me what you like, what you don't like. And in the meantime, the only thing left to say is peace.